Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our Vetsplanation Staff Edition. I'm Dr. Sugarman, if you don't know who I am yet. So we're going to be talking about swimmer's tail today. It goes by lots of other names, but um, the most common ones are like limber tail, cold tail, dead tail, broken wag, and sprained tail, or cold water. I can't remember if I said cold water tail. Uh, but we actually call it, like the actual medical term for it is called acute caudal myopathy. So acute meaning that it's something that happened very quickly, caudal meaning the back end of the dog, like towards the tail. And then myopathy, myo means muscle and apathy or pathy means something wrong. So there's something wrong with the muscle. It commonly affects our larger breed dogs, like hunting dogs, athletic dogs, working dogs. And it's usually at the beginning of their season two. So like for hunting dogs, a lot of times it'll be that they are that's like the very beginning of that hunting season. And they haven't really been conditioned or like worked up to this. They very quickly just went out and started hunting and for long periods of time. For our working dogs, it might be like think about our shepherds and stuff or labs or beagles and whatnot that are working dogs, especially in police dogs. Like they may not have had that many hours that they normally would do, but then suddenly they're working a double shift or they've been um, trying to like chase after some bad guy or something for a longer than they normally would. And so they can get this as well. So this can happen to lots of different types of dogs, but the most common breeds are going to be like our Labrador retrievers, our hounds, beagles, and pointers. And I've definitely seen this in a lot of other dogs as well. Like I've even seen it in German shepherds and things like that too. So we're going to dive into like how this process happens. There are multiple causes for this, but you know, this kind of boils down to some sort of overuse of the muscles of the tail. Think about most dogs' tails. They're either like raised up, go from like up and around over their back, or they're like lay down, but the tip of their tail kind of curves over. Now to keep that tail like up and around your back, like that's, that takes a lot of muscles to do that. They do that constantly. Even wagging their tail takes a lot of muscles as well. So it definitely can be that they just have overworked muscles. The name originally came from dogs that were swimming for too long and especially cold waters, but this can happen for a variety of reasons. It could be that the dog just got really excited and had been wagging their tail excessively for a day or two. If there was a party or something where they just got really excited constantly, it can happen when they have intense physical exercise. So if they had been going from like couch potato to suddenly like running in some parade or something that could definitely cause it. It can even just be from being in cold, wet weather, like here in the Pacific Northwest. Climate changes can cause this too. So going from really extreme hot to really extreme cold, that can cause it. Or even just being like transported in a kennel for too long, like those can cause the swimmer tail as well. And these symptoms, they usually happen pretty quickly. So within a couple of hours, but it can take a couple of days after whatever caused it to cause swimmer's tail, like to show the signs of it. So it really depends, but it's usually within a couple of days at least. So let's talk about our clinical signs next. Um, these vary from dog to dog and can be really subtle sometimes too. So we talk about these clinical signs, but there's lots of other differentials to these. So we're going to talk about those later as well. The most common thing I see is that the dog's tail just hangs, just like hangs down. Sorry, it's a terrible view here. So it just hangs downward. It doesn't really move and you'll see it from the base of the tail. So the base is the part next to the dog's body, but you'll see it from the base of the tail, just hanging straight down which is pretty abnormal, right? Like even for our dogs that are scared, 
it can be really obvious that they aren't using their tail. But I say the most common thing I see them come in for, the most common reason that they come in for is that either they say they're just not using their tail or they're just really painful in their back end. And so here is where a lot of the triage nurses have to start thinking about what the kind of things to ask. We should be asking some open-ended questions first. Is there anything that you know that could have happened? Because some people will be like way off the mark, right? They're like, I gave him a chicken bone three days ago. Who knows? But it could also be that they're like, I did go hunting with him two days ago. And so I wonder if he injured himself then. What's a great clue to be like, oh, you went hunting with him and it's the winter time. That does make me think that maybe we have swimmer's tail. Or it could be that they say something really cryptic. I just just feel like he's just painful. That's it. And that could be. It could be that he's just painful. It could be that he just seems like he's painful anytime he sits down. One of the other things that I see, though, sometimes is that they'll hold their tail kind of horizontally. So they'll hold the base of the tail horizontally, and then the rest of it just falls down. So it looks really odd, like this really crooked angle. So people think that too, that maybe they might have broken their tail because of this weird angle that they see there. But some people don't even notice those things at all, right? Don't notice the tail at all. So then we have to start asking more in-depth questions that are not open-ended questions. Now we start asking about, did you take him hunting recently? Or did you do something that was really uh, strenuous with him? Or is there any way that he could have gotten out of the yard? Because then we want to start thinking about other sorts of traumas and things like that as well. And sometimes they just don't have the answers and that's okay that we have to start relying on like our physical exam to try to start showing us what this might be. Some of those other clinical signs that they might notice are they're just lethargic. They just really want to move around. And so they might be crying anytime that they move because their muscles or their tail hurt. They might even start licking or chewing at the back end. And also the fur might be raised on their tail too. I'm sure some of these things sound like other things that you might be concerned about, right? Other differentials. So some of those other differentials, like if they're chewing at their back end, one of the first things I start thinking about is, well, is it their anal glands? This is pretty common for our small breed dogs, not as common for our large breed dogs, but definitely still a possibility that they could have an anal gland problem, right? They can have an anal gland impaction. It might be that they even are chewing at their back end because they have fleas. So just running a flea comb over them real quick can give you a good amount of data just right there. If you see a bunch of flea dirt where they're chewing, then this might be due to fleas that's causing this. Some of the other things I have to worry about too are going to be something called cauda equina syndrome. And I'll go into that on another podcast. Or also IVDD, which again, I'll do it in another podcast. It's on my list. Or it could be something that they have just trauma to the tail. Maybe they had actually gotten it shut in a sliding glass door that the kids accidentally did and the pet parent doesn't know about it. Or maybe that they end up having an abscess that's on the tail and they just don't notice that there's a bump that's right there. This could also be because they have cancer of that tail too. And it might not be something on the outside. That might be something we see on the inside in their bones. So... Like I said, I ask a lot of open-ended questions first and then just very specific questions after that to try to see if I can help rule out going from big differentials to smaller differentials. And then doing my physical exam. If I see that their tail is obviously being held weird or if I notice that if I push on their spine and they're okay, but they're not okay as soon as I get to the base of their tail, then I'm going to think more that this might be a swimmer's tail type situation. So how are we going to diagnose this? 
this is not an easy thing to diagnose because there's no test for it. Really, it's just going to be that I have to go off of the pet parent's history. So it's really important for the triage people to, to get that history for me. I go off my physical exam and they're just ruling out some of those other differentials as well. So the next thing we're going to do is rule out those differentials. First thing is I'm probably going to do a rectal on the dog so I can just check their anal glands and make sure that that's okay. The next thing is going to be that we're going to do x-rays. So we're going to do radiographs of their tail. Now, when we think about our radiographs, this is a little bit hard because technically we should be getting the tail and the hips in two different x-rays or two different radiographs. And the reason why is because the tail is really thin, right? It's really small compared to how wide those hips are. So if you have wide hips, I'm going to get a lot more detail of the hips because we're setting it for a hip setting versus setting it for the tail. And so I'm going to get a lot less detail of that tail. But I need more detail of the tail to be able to see if there's anything that looks like a cancer that's starting. Or if I'm going to look to see if there's, uh, a lot of times you'll see like when you get those hip x-rays, you'll look and see that there's no skin around the tail. And that's because it's too dark. Like you burnt out that tail. So we can't see those little details that I need to be able to see. Is there any air underneath the skin? So ideally getting them in two different shots, tail in one, and then also our um, hips in another one, if we need the hips which a lot of people will ask us to do the hips or we might think that they might need the hips, ideally just doing those two different things. And a lot of times then the things that I'm looking for are going to be, are there any fractures? Are there any dislocations? And I'm also, like, like I said, looking for air underneath the skin because that's going to show me that there's actually signs of trauma somewhere and then I'll have a better idea where that trauma is so I can go looking to see is there an abscess there or is there some sort of wound that's there. And that kind of gives me a better idea whether this is going to be trauma versus it being a swimmer's tail type situation. So that's it for our diagnostics. The next thing we're going to be doing is just treating them for the disorder. So this is a couple of the different things. Usually we're giving them some sort of pain medication. So right now, gabapentin is our best pain medication. There are lots of other types of pain medications out there, but that's usually going to be one of the first go-tos. The second thing is we need to bring down the inflammation of those muscles because there's tons of inflammation and they're very painful and we need to bring that down. So usually carprofen or Medicam or something else to try to bring down the inflammation. And then the third thing is going to be a muscle relaxer. So the muscle relaxer, if anybody's ever hurt their back, like that is one of the nicest things is the muscle relaxer because your, your muscles are so tense and so tight that that's causing even more inflammation and more pain. So we want to relax those muscles so that they're going to be able to heal. So our goal here is we just want to keep them comfortable because really it's their own body that's going to fix this. I can't give any other medication that's going to fix it. I can just keep them comfortable until their own body starts to heal itself. Pain is a really interesting thing. Pain is needed. We don't want to take it away completely. We do need some of it because that's what helps protect you. So if you are like, if you sprain your ankle, you're not going to want to walk on it. And that's going to be the way that your body helps protect you is by causing that pain so that that way you'll protect your ankle and not walk on it. We want to do the same thing for them. We want to try to keep them as comfortable as possible, but not 100% pain-free. We at least want them to have some, some pain so that they don't do things like wagging their tail constantly. So some of the other things that the owners can do at home too is that they can do things like icing their tail. So icing and heat and or heat, I should say. Some dogs do not like ice and some dogs do not like heat. So the big things is just making sure that they can put it on their skin and it's not going to burn them. 
Otherwise, like I said, doing some sort of like ice or heat, depending on which one that the pet will tolerate, usually for about five to 10 minutes a day, two to three times a day if they possibly can. That also helps bring down inflammation, but it also helps make the pain decrease as well. And then the second thing is to have a really nice bed for them to be able to lay in. Try not to put them in a crate or if they are in a crate, that it's a big crate so that they don't push their tail muscles up against the crate because that's going to hurt a lot as well. We don't want them to be too cramped in there. And they also need a really nice bed to be able to lay on too. Because again, if you, if you hurt your back or something, you don't want to be laying on a floor. You want to be laying on a really nice, comfortable bed so that you can heal. The third thing is the hardest one. And that's just really to try to keep them as calm as possible. Every time you come home, of course, they're excited. Every time they hear barking on TV or whatever, they get really excited. They wag their tail. And so I think that's the harder one, but just trying to keep them as calm as possible so that, that way they can just heal. It will take about two to 24 days for their tail to heal, those muscles to heal. I'd say most of them are healed within a week, but some can take longer, unfortunately. And then the next thing is just preventing this. So kind of prevention is the best thing that we can do. A lot of people will ask, is this going to happen again? And as long as you prevent it from happening, it won't happen again. So some of the things that they can do is, like I said, make sure they have a big kennel so that they have lots of room. If they go hunting, make sure that they're going to help conditioning them to that. So don't just go from being couch potato one day to trying to sprint and run a marathon, right? They need to like slowly build up to that. So taking them for walks, taking them for runs, playing fetch with them, like doing things to try to help increase their, their muscles, their strength, so that they'll be able to do those things. And then also just trying to keep them as warm as possible too, trying not to have them out in the cold for as long. Uh, there are some things that you just can't prevent though, like just living in the Pacific Northwest, right? Like we cannot prevent the way that the weather is going to be. So we can't really do anything about that. All right. So that is it about a swimmer's tail. I know this is a short one, but winter is coming up here or we are, we are in winter really. So I want to make sure that people are aware of this. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Z about fleas. And then I'm also going to be talking to um, a veterinarian and one of the people who does like a lot of the finances for the Humane Society. So I'm really excited about that one. So we can get a better understanding of what they do as well. And hopefully the public will be able to have a better understanding too. All right. For my story, I don't really have a funny story, but I'll tell you what I did this week. So it was my birthday or it is my birthday coming up here tomorrow, but you guys won't have this till Tuesday. But so I went to a escape room and it was really like, I thought it was funny because it's very, it's a very immersive one. I really like it because they do, they have a lot of intricate details and they stay really in character and stuff. So I, I always like it because the kids really like it, but it was really funny because like you go into all these different rooms and you're like in a tree and it's, and then you're like dealing with like fairies and dragon's blood and all these really cool things, but it's supposed to be very like old-timey, witchy-type feeling. And then suddenly you push a button or you, you use a key to unlock something and then there's like a digital timer that pops out. <laughs> I was like, what? You couldn't have a regular timer to put on here? This is, what do you have this digital timer for? There's no digital timers, I think, with fairies, right? Um, I caught on to that, but I don't think the kids did. But I, I thought it was really funny. So we did not escape this one, unfortunately. We, we definitely tried but uh, we were not able to escape we had she said we got like 80 percent of the way there but it's hard when you're doing it with it was like my wife and i and our two kids so we do it's just supposed to be for fun and i was worried that they were going to freak out when they didn't 
finish it because we finished the last one, but they were okay. They were actually like, they were not upset that they didn't finish it. They both said it was really cool and that they were really excited to go again. So that was a lot of fun. And after that, we went to sushi. I love sushi. So that was really exciting for me. And yeah. All right, guys. So that is my story for you. And I hope you learned a little bit more about Swimmer's Tale. And like I said, always, if you have any questions, comments, you want me to cover something, text me, email me, find me in the halls. I'm always more than happy to answer your questions and to do anything that you guys have requested. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys.